What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Tea on Credit and Other Things with me, Markia, aka The Money Plug, aka your credit specialist's favorite credit specialist. Today's episode of the podcast is actually going to be a playback of a live Q&A I did with Rebecca Richardson, who's a mortgage loan officer. She's definitely my go-to person whenever you guys have questions regarding home buying that I just don't have an answer for. She's in the Facebook group if you are in the Facebook group, so please don't hesitate to tag her in statuses where you feel like she would be the better resource. Um, And I really just wanted to tap into the vast wealth of knowledge that she had. We talk about buying during bankruptcy because yes, you can buy while you're in an active bankruptcy, depending on what type of bankruptcy it is. I'm telling you, grab your pen and your piece of paper because I definitely took notes during this Q&A. If you want to watch the Q&A, you can actually pop one over to YouTube and add it to your watch list too. So don't hesitate to subscribe while you're over there. But I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and I really hope that you found the value in it. This episode will be a lot longer than some of the normal content you'll find here. However, I really just couldn't find it in my heart to edit any of it out because so much of it was just so important for you guys to get. So sit back, relax, grab a snack, get a pen, a piece of paper, and definitely take notes because you're not going to want to miss this. Okay, no echoes, no nothing? No echoes on my side. I'm good. Okay, heard. People say that we're good? Yep, I'm good. So what's up, everybody? If you're watching this, welcome. Um, So I told you guys we were working on the joint live. I know a lot of people had home buying questions over the last two days when I did the Bad Credit Bootcamp. And so, ta-da, here's the expert herself, Ms. Rebecca Richardson, the mortgage mentor. Hey, hey. All right, so let me... Everything is up and running. I'm checking Facebook. Perfect. And everything is looking perfect. This is amazing. So let's talk home buying. So first of all, what do you, what is a mortgage loan officer? What does a mortgage loan officer do? So as a mortgage loan officer, my job is to help people essentially identify what it is that they want to do, right? What, what their goal is for the purchase and then what they, what options best help them meet those goals. So when we, so, you know, usually during the home buying process, I hear a lot about the realtor and everything goes to the realtor. So what role do you play in it? Like, does the realtor communicate with you? Should I be communicating with a mortgage loan, you know, officer directly or how does that work? So I always say that the best step and, and thank you everybody, whoever's joining on my side, let me know if this sounds good. I want to make sure it's not echoing because I don't, I don't do this as much as Marquia does and I'm not a pro like you. <laughs> Um, but cause we've got two things going on here, but, um, basically the best first place to start is with a lender because the lender is going to help you hone in on a budget, help you come up with, um, you know, a strategy and timing and all of those kind of things that then you can take to the realtor and say, okay, this is my ideal situation. This is what I want to purchase. Um, the sales price, this type of home, this is where my ideal payment is and all of those kind of things. Because the realtor helps you, you know, find the home, negotiate that, and then the lender's job, the mortgage consultant's job, all all the same terms. Um, their job is to really help you get the money. Mm, okay. Yeah. So the first question, and probably like the number one question I get all the time, is what is the credit score required to get a home? And you will find that most of the answers that lenders give is going to start with, it depends. So it depends. It depends on your loan type um, and it depends on your lender because certain loan types will have minimum credit scores. For example, FHA will have a minimum credit score of 580 for a 
three and a half percent down payment. That just means the way that the rules are written for that program, that is the floor. Um, now lenders will have extra layers of rules on top of that, which are called overlays. And that means that those are um, basically extra rules that they have around kind of their risk tolerance. So they might say you need a 620 score. So what I always tell people is that if you talk to a lender and they say, mm, sorry, you know, you don't meet our program guidelines, you got to ask them, you know, why? Is it because I don't meet the program rules or is it because you have as a lender an overlay that I need to maybe look at a different lender, maybe get a different answer? So it's, that's why it's good to go a little bit further, um, try to get that feedback from a lender so they can tell you what's going on um, and get a second opinion you know, because there are different options out there. So should we go find a mortgage loan officer before we go talk to a realtor or after, or do like realtors have specific loan people they want us to go through? Like how does, how do we even get connected with someone? Um, yes, a realtor is a great source of a lender because a lot of times they are going to have worked with lenders and be able to say, um, you know, this lender delivered, they uh, were responsive to me, their clients liked them, you know, all of all of that type of feedback because you want to have a, a good process. It is more involved than, you know, getting a car, right? So you want to make sure that you're in good hands. Um, so you can get a recommendation from a realtor. Um, you can also get recommendations from, you know, friends who've recently bought, family, colleagues, um, you know, do a Google search. Uh, I do have some videos on my channel from the standpoint of how do you vet a lender? Like, how do you, you know, determine that somebody is a good fit, that they actually know what they're talking about? Um, so, you know, you can talk to a lender or a realtor first, but, but really most things aren't going to proceed and they really shouldn't proceed very far until you've at least gotten pre-approved with the lender, until the lender says, this is our game plan, does this sound good to you? Um, because you really don't want to fall in love with a home, potentially put money on the line until you know that that loan is essentially there, ready for you, you know, when you're under contract. So what are some things, let's say I found a lender, got my pre-approval, found a house, put an offer in, what are some things that can keep me from the closing table? Uh, spending your down payment. <laughs> so if we if we aren't able to verify that you have enough funds needed for the transaction and on the front end, the lender will tell you, you know, this is what your estimated payment is. This is what your estimated out-of-pocket expenses are. Um, so sometimes people will spend that money because either life happens or, you know, they think, I can get it from somewhere else and that unfortunately that somewhere else source isn't allowable um a a big component and and i know you did you know something on this recently are new accounts because new accounts um whether it's for furniture whether it's for a car or anything like that um that affects our calculations that can affect your you know your ability to be approved so what do you think is a good rule of thumb? So I typically tell people within six months of you like signing on the dotted line, you should not be adding new accounts. Is that a good kind of guideline? Should I go broader like 12 months or shorter to three months? I think six months is good from the standpoint that, you know, kind of back in your court, you know, that's enough time for your score to rebound from having a new, you know, from having a new account. So, um, you know, it's going to, it's going to season enough. Um, and, you know, that way we, we know what we're looking at, 
from the application standpoint, because for example, sometimes, um, most of the time when we pull credit, we will see that people have pulled their credit elsewhere or we're going to ask, you know, did you get any new debt? Because ultimately what we're looking at is at the time of closing, when you were buying that house, are we looking at your true financial picture? Is this your current employer? Are these your current debts? You know, what assets do you have in the bank? All of those kind of things. And any of those things shifting can affect the ability to be final approved. Mm, that's really, you know, and it's so funny because like <laughs> when I try to explain that to people, it's like they don't get it. But like just hearing you say it and how you described it, I'm definitely going to take that. Well, it's hard because life happens, right? And depending on the markets that you're in, sometimes these contracts, you know, might take up to 45, 60 days or, or whatever the situation is, or particularly if you're building a home, my goodness, you know, we're talking about months. And so new job opportunities come up, um, layoffs happen, um, cars are totaled and you need to get a new, you know, a new car. Um, you start dreaming about this new home and you want the furniture for it. And it seems like a great choice to do 12 months, you know, 0% interest or whatever the case may be. And people go on about their lives, not thinking that we're trying to, I tell people that it's kind of like trying to take a picture of a river. I mean, it's always moving. We're just trying to get a snapshot um, and we're basing our decision off that snapshot. So if it, if it changes in a material way, then it, it can affect that final yes. So to be clear, a pre-approval does not guarantee you a home. It does not. No. Um, the the way that I that I try to explain how the process works is, and and thank you for using pre-approval because there are terms that are used interchangeably and they really shouldn't be. So people will say, um, get pre-qualified, get pre-approved, and say they're the same thing. They're not. Um, pre-qualified means we are getting an application. We're taking a look at your credit. And we're giving you initial information based off of what you've told us and what we see on your credit report. Um, ultimately, we have to then verify that information. That's what a pre-approval is, is we're then getting pay stubs, bank statements, asking, hey, these inquiries on your credit, do, you know, are there any new accounts or things like that? Um, and then your final loan approval is then once all of that information has been verified for a specific property. So it's kind of like dating, engaged, and married. There are different levels of commitment, different levels of information. I um, love that. Yeah. I love that. And um, I, I had some people join after we started. So hello, everybody. For those of you who are new, my name is Markia. I'm known as the Money Plug on social media. I'm a board certified credit repair specialist and credit score consultant. Rebecca, you want to introduce yourself? Yes. So again, I'm Rebecca Richardson. I'm the mortgage mentor. I'm a residential lender that lends in 25 states. And um, we're just here to talk money and real estate. <laughs> Listen, I send everybody to her. As soon as somebody say anything about a house in their, in their question, I'm like, hey, go talk to her because I would hate to tell you something wrong. You know what? That's a good point too, is I think sometimes the question is how early is too early to start? Yes. You know, yes. Um, because it kind of seems, I think a lot of times people feel like they've got to kind of have that fully formed plan. I want to buy a $350,000 house. I'm going to put 5% down and et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's really what we're here to do. I mean, that's what our, what our, our job is to help people decide is, you know, where do you want to be approximately, um, what's important to you and come up with a plan. And the sooner we put that plan together, the more time you have to work towards that, or if there are changes that need to happen, um, you know, you have 
you know, changes, maybe, maybe there are things that need to happen to credit, or maybe there are things that need to happen from the standpoint of, Hey, now I understand what maybe I need to come out of pocket for this. I want to have a little more money on the side. So I feel good about this next step. It gives you more time to save up for it versus trying to wait until my lease is ending in April. It's the beginning of March. Oh my gosh, I have to find a house. Let's go. Now, do those conversations happen? Absolutely. But just the earlier you start, the more time you have to plan. And I just think it's a more comfortable process. So typically what I tell people, especially when I do my audits, because um, one of the, the criteria of my audits is I sit down and I ask people, what are your goals? Like, what made you come here? And a lot of people go like, oh, well, I want to buy a house this year. And I really hate when people say that because I always tell them at the very least, you need to be seeing someone about your credit 12 months before you're even thinking about going to a mortgage loan officer because like you said earlier you know six months is a really good cr uh, criteria for it. after six months you shouldn't be adding anything to your credit so that technically gives you about six months wiggle room if you're mm -hmm. coming to me at this 12 month mark but what do you think um is like a good kind of time period for you like let's just say i wake up today and i'm like you know what i think i'm getting ready to buy a house what is a realistic time frame especially with the current market what is a realistic time frame from the day i have the thought to i have some things i got to clean up on my credit to okay now i'm ready um i would say i think you're giving perfect advice um i would say a lot of times we're seeing people kind of make that decision and then taking the step to talk to somebody like me probably about two to six months Mm, okay, so I got a really good question. Someone yeah. said, first time buyer, is this a good market to buy a house in? My kids get SSI, will that stop us? It will not stop you. Um, so so SSI is uh, is allowable income. Um, there are different documentations that we have to do depending on different types of income. Um, and as far as is it a good time to buy, I think like anything else, it's a personal decision, right? Um, most markets are just crazy hot, right? So, you know, competition, we're seeing a little bit of softening in some markets. Some are still, you know, bonkers. Um, I don't think that we'll see kind of the runaway um, increase in pricing this year, but I do think that homes will continue to, to get more expensive simply because we know that rates are going to be going up. They already have. Um, so they're, you know, kind of what are sales pr home prices going to do? Definitely an X factor. What are interest rates going to do? We know that they're going up. So the benefit of buy now is you are able to really kind of lock in that home price and, and know that that's set and not be, you know, subjected to higher interest rates or, or rent increases. Let me tell you why it's very important for y'all to lock in these rates now. So for those of you who don't know, I'm a loan signing agent. So when people refinance or when they purchase a home and things like that, they call me to help you sign the paperwork. So I don't give no advice. I cannot advise during these appointments. I just be like, hey, this is this point here. Anything that's off, we just gonna call somebody because I'm not the adult in this situation. So like, I went to this gorgeous house. So I had never been in uh, Charles County, Virginia. I had never been over there. It's like the Eastern shore of Virginia for anybody who's in the Northeast. And gorgeous homes. I'm talking. Oh, wait, somebody said they can't hear me. Somebody said they can't hear me. Uh-oh. Hold on. Uh-oh. Let me see. Hold on. Oh, and they're saying no sound on TikTok. No sound. Okay. Can you hear me now? I'm just waiting to see on my side. Can you hear me now? 
Okay, they can hear me now. It's just, it might okay. be like a little mini echo. Let me move Thanks, this guys. over here. I try to wear my headphones so I can't hear the echo. Okay, if it's a little echo, I apologize. But so I'm, I'm at the house and we're, you know, I'm, you get friendly with the people when they're signing the documents. And um, I just ask, cause I, I always tell people I'm not ready to buy a house yet. I'm very, I'm not mature enough yet. I like pretending like I'm not gonna pay my rent when something goes wrong in here. So, so like, I'm not ready to buy a house. But I just asked them, I was like, that's your question. How much you buy this house for? And they was like, well, you know, we got it about five years ago and we haven't done anything to it. They haven't done anything to the home. They were like, it was about, we paid about mm, 380. I think that was what the original loan was for, right? When I, so they're doing a refinance. When I looked at the appraisal for this house, y'all, the appraisal was $700,000 for this home. And they was like, we got it like soon as we saw it. And they was like, you know, when we saw it, we thought like, you know, dang, it's a lot of money. The rates are high. Like we're never going to be able to, to pay this off. But they said they locked that rate in. They got the house. And now five years down the road, they're refinancing for an even better rate. Like, right. you know, so it's just like, don't feel like just because, you know, the rates are high now, you, you just can't do it. You can't, you can't do it. If you can't afford it, that's one thing. But if you can afford to lock your rate in now, pay whatever you're going to pay on it, the, you know, make sure you keep your house up to date. You know, if you're going to do any updates, do updates because you can always refinance or sell and then right. come out on top. Like I never, I had never seen nothing like that in my life. Like the house was worth double what the loan was for and I was just like and they got it almost brand new and I was just I was like you almost had me you almost made me want to buy a house I was like, close. I'm getting warmer I'm getting warmer well and that's one of the things is that the majority of you know wealth is built in middle class for middle class Americans through real estate for that exact reason because you're going to have some sort of housing expense and either you can you can pay your own mortgage or you can pay your landlords so it just, you know, it's, 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 it's making sure to try to tap into those resources as they are available to make sure it's a good, smart money decision for, you know, for you, for the future. So you're not sometimes subjected to rent increases and things like that. So separate question. And I, I'm, somebody asked me this and I meant to ask it earlier. So I'm going to answer it from the credit repair specialist side of the house. And then I want you to answer it from the mortgage loan officer side of the house. But somebody said, do trade lines work? Like, why don't y'all suggest? Because I don't suggest trade lines. I'm super anti the purchase of trade lines. And so the example that I always give is, let's say you buy a trade line for three months, right? Because that's what you think. That's how long you think it's going to take for you to get to closing. So you purchase the trade line, your score goes up. They tell you everything's good to go. We're just waiting for closing. Um, something happens that pushes closing back. Well, you get the, your time is up on the trade line. So they pull you off the account and now your score drops back down. I, because that can keep you from closing, correct? Right. And from a lender's perspective, you know, our concern is that's not an accurate representation of your, you know, your credit history. I mean, your, your, your spending history, your debt history, whatever, you know, kind of whatever you want to do. It, it's, it's not giving an accurate decision for that, you know, for that, um, underwriting of the loan. And, and from our standpoint, all we're trying to do is understand what the legitimate situation is, because I think there can be a lot of intimidation from the standpoint of, oh my gosh, what if a lender says no, you know, I, I get it. Um, my view on that is we are here to help you get to the point that we can legitimately say yes, not that we're trying to game the system. 
And so paying for trade lines, you know, I, you know, just, I, I can't encourage that because that's not, that's not giving an accurate representation. See, I told y'all, I'm not just being mean. I'm not just saying <laughs> stuff. I promise I would not say nothing that would hurt y'all, but that is why I don't suggest trade lines. And we even talked a little bit about it last night, how on every account, it um, there's a specific section that annotates, what is your responsibility for the payment of this debt? When you're just an authorized user, that really has no bearing on your credit worthiness because you are not financially responsible for this account. This is why for your children, even if you put them on as an authorized user, they when the, once they become of age, they still need to generate their own account because that's how you determine their credit worthiness. But speaking of that, what is your opinion on Experian Boost? Because I have so many people who I'll pull their credit reports and I see it. And it's like, yeah. does that really help? Um, I would say it's a non-factor for us. I mean, one of the one of the big developments on kind of the credit front for mortgages last year was that for some loan types, a rent history does factor into the decision-making on a loan. It doesn't factor in necessarily into the score. It doesn't factor into um, anything other than essentially the behind the scenes risk analysis that's done on a loan. Meaning when we get your loan, we run it through an automated underwriting system and it says yes, no, or maybe caution. Um, so it might flip something from a maybe to a yes. So it certainly can hurt. But really beyond that, I don't think, you know, things like Experian Boost does anything. Mm. Now, you talked about rent reporting, and I know I've asked you personally because somebody asked me and I, and I really didn't have the exact answer. But how valuable is rent reporting um, to a profile now? Like how much of a value does it provide now that you're allowed to calculate that? It's it's one of those intangibles because um, this, this automated underwriting system that we put loans through, um, you you don't really kind of get the recipe for the secret sauce, right? Like why does this loan flip to an approval, which means either, you know, uh, excuse me, sorry, phone. Um, that either it's an easier path or that it's, um, you know, that it, that it means that yes, this loan is possible. Um, so sometimes that doesn't always make sense because we'll look at, 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 buyers that are very, very similar, one of them, you know, gets an approval, one doesn't, but it gets into not just what your credit score is, not just what your down payment is, but it, but it's the actual activity in the history, meaning is your debt going up? Is your debt going down? And so that gets evaluated from a risk standpoint and showing that you have had a positive rental history helps in that risk evaluation, because if you've been paying $1,750 for rent and now you're getting a mortgage for $1,500 or you're paying $2,000, you know, and, and maybe you're paying less or the same, you've already successfully made that payment. It seems like a reasonable assumption that you can make a mortgage. You know. um, so, so that every, everything like that helps. Um, and it certainly doesn't hurt. Okay. So someone asked, I went from a salary to hourly on my job. Will this affect my loan? Um, it depends. <laughs> My favorite answer. Um, it depends from the standpoint of are those hours guaranteed um, and are you still working full time? Because if somebody switches perhaps from full time to part time, then we're, we're going to need a longer history of somebody working part time. So I know you guys like to say, you know, two years on the job, that's kind of like the standard that I kind of hear across the board. But for those of us, let's say for, I always like to use myself as an example, I've recently retired, right? And so I'm on a fixed income technically with my VA disability. Can that still be used for me to get a home loan? 
Absolutely. Um, and, and Victoria asked a good question on my side as far as talk about employment history. So I'll, I'll touch on that a little bit. Depending on some type of income. So for example, your benefits, you know, we know that that's guaranteed income. So we can count that. You don't have had, you don't have had to have had that for two years for that to factor in. If somebody's been in school, you know, either for college or trade school, and then they're starting a job with a salary or guaranteed hourly that's in that same line, you know, that, that school history can factor into the employment history because we're showing that there is a continuation, basically a you know, progression, basically, of, of somebody's profession. Um, where that two-year history comes really into play is going to be around variable income. So things like bonus, commission, um, you know, per diem or uh, per job type pay or self-employment. Most of the time, what we're looking at for is going to be two years because we have to show that that income is stable. So that's the reason that the two years come into play. If it's something that's more guaranteed, um, then you don't necessarily have to have two years history in that job. We're just going to be doing a two year look back to see what the employment or education history was. Okay. So going back to the rental question, someone said that if a rental place chooses not to report, does a letter from them verifying the history suffice? It can. Um, so that's what's considered um, on some loan types. Like I said, it can factor into um, it can factor into the automated risk evaluation, um, but it can also factor into what are called compensating factors. Meaning, if um, let's say that the payment is a little bit higher because maybe maybe you've got a part-time job but you don't have it two years so we're counting less income all of these kind of things we can show that you successfully paid your rent so you've got a great handle on your budget and that rent payment is similar to what the mortgage is and so it can just kind of there is that still very much that human factor of approving a loan and it's evaluating risk from the standpoint of you've been a successful renter for three years all of those kind of things you know, it can over it can um, overcompensate for maybe some other areas that, that appear a little bit riskier. Okay. Now I'm also gonna let you know. So let's say that your you know your rental place chooses not to report. There are some services out there that you can use to report your rent to your credit report. The biggest thing that you want to look for is to make sure that they report to all three credit bureaus to maximize each score. Because remember, each bureau provides its own score. So you want to make sure that they report to all three credit bureaus. And some of them will even tell you that they go as far back as two years with reporting previous rental history. Um, actually, Kat, I'm going to be posting a review for rent reporters um, either tomorrow or the next day. Don't quote me. I promise I'm working on it. But um, so that's a company you can look into as well as there's a newer company called Boom that you could look into um, that connects to your bank account. So if you use your bank account to pay your rent, then what they do is they connect to your account using Plaid, which is a very secure software um, that a lot of banks trust and they connect to your bank and they scroll through your transactions to see your rent payments and they'll go as far back as you allow them to to report your rent payments to your credit report so that's another option that you have cat um someone said to explain to people how cavers work but i remember that conversation so before we go there because i feel like that's going to be a redirect i remember that i just want to remember to read that one someone asked can child support factor into getting a home can that be used as income Yes, it can be. Um, so child support can be used. Um, and I see my friend um, DFW divorced attorney on my side. So this one's for you too. So child support can factor in if it has been received for three to six months. It depends on the loan. So most of the time count 
on needing to receive it for six months. Um, and that it has been received for at least the amount that's been agreed to and that it will continue for at least three years. So where we can run into an issue is if um, maybe a child is 16 and then it's even though, yes, they are receiving it and they will still be receiving it when they buy the home, it's not continuing for three years. So that three years is a big factor. And then also showing that you've consistently received it for at least those six months is a big factor. Um, So that, that does... And, and if there is not an agreement, but it's been received for 12 months, like if there's a, you know, kind of a, a friendly agreement and we can document that there are regular payments, that works. We just need a longer history. Okay. Wow. So someone else said that I, I take care of my mom. Should I include her SSI income? You can, um, she, in most cases, because sometimes, sometimes there are different loans out there, but in most cases she would have to be on the loan in order to include that income unless you have guardianship of her. Now, um, I have a friend um, who is purchasing a home. She's the only one on the loan, but she is married. And because she lives in a community property state, her husband isn't on the loan. However, they still had to factor in his debt um, when calculating what she was pre-approved for. How does that work? Um, It's just because the way that some state laws work is um, that we have to factor in a spouse's debt, even if they aren't on the loan. Um, so maybe they aren't on the loan because their credit score doesn't meet the minimum credit score needed. So we're having to factor the debt, but if they aren't on the loan in many cases, then we don't have income to offset that debt. Mm, so yeah. if that happens, okay, then you can't use their income. So then if the debt is a little too much, that can cause you to get disqualified for the loan. That's right. And that, and that's why there is that benefit to kind of just bring it back to start that process early. Um, because you want to know one, does that affect me because of the state that I'm in Two, how much does it affect me? And does it prevent me from doing what I want to do? If it does prevent me from what I want to do, then what needs to be fixed? Basically, is it a credit score thing? Is it a, um, income thing? What, what needs to be focused on so we can get where we want to be? And if you're waiting until you're in that 90 day countdown to your lease or something, sometimes there's not enough time, you know, to respond to that. Okay, so separate question, kind of sort of going back to the income and talking about the military a little bit. So, you know, I'm I'm retired, so I get a lot of people in the military who come to me asking questions. And let's say, you know, somebody's planning on ETS and they're getting ready to get out of the service, um, but and they, they're starting the process for VA disability. You know, obviously they're doing job interviews and things like that. As they're PCSing, is it smart for them to start, you know, looking for a home? Is that, or should they wait until they have stable income or at least their award letter from the VA? Like, what do you suggest if somebody's getting out and they know they want to buy a house? Like, what do you suggest as far as how a pre-approval will work for them? My advice is to wait until you have the job or you have, you know, you have the benefits letter. Um, so, you know, somebody that I really respect, I hope I saw she popped up, um, so I don't know if she's still on here, is uh, the VA loan lady who is on TikTok. So she is, um, I, I know VA loans well. I feel like if um, if we were getting degrees, I would have my master's in VA and she has her doctorates. So, um, so there are all kinds of, it's, there are all kinds of different scenarios and we are here to try to make it work. Um, but the, you know, knowing that, you know, sometimes we'll see, let me use a different example. Sometimes we'll have nurses as, you know, um, not for VA specifically, but nurses who are maybe changing jobs, obviously in high demand can, you know, really kind of, um, you know, write their own path. Right. But until we know what that job is, until we have those details, we're in this limbo land and as lenders, 
we can't lend on limbo. <laughs> we have to lend on, you know, known factors. So, okay, so for travel nurses, right, who mm -hmm. are always on the job, this job this week, this job yes. this week, what is something that they can do to help them in this process? Um, the best thing that they can do is, one, if you are moving from, you know, whether you're travel nursing, whether you're PRN, most of the time you're going to have to have a longer history in order to count that income, just simply because that's going to be needed to, again, come back to that stable income. We know that you're making great money. We can absolutely see it, but the way that guidelines are written, we have to have more of a history. Mm, I didn't even think of something yeah. like that. That is crazy. Because, okay. And, and I, can, I think that that's the thing just to kind of, to tangent on that just for a second is if a lender doesn't explain why they're getting that answer if it's just like mm, sorry you don't qualify it can feel very very defeating because you know that you're working your butt off you know that you are out there doing important work you know you are absolutely doing all the right things you know that you're paying your bills and then some and all this kind of stuff and it feels like you're not being recognized for that so i think understanding the why is so important to understand that it's not a personal judgment, it's sometimes the way that the guidelines are written, which don't always fit well with everyday life. But you need to know, um, you know, you, you've got to know kind of where that, um, where those details lie for your particular situation to then know to plan accordingly. Mm. Someone said that it was stated that FHA loans are not the best. Which is a better loan that one should strive for? Um, it's a, it's a personal choice, right? So if FHA is the best option based off of either credit history, credit score, whatever the need may be, I'm a huge fan of FHA when you're purchasing multifamily because the down payment is low, all of those kind of things. I am not going to vilify FHA at all. And I apologize. Apparently all of my dogs are being let loose. So it's going to live up. Um, we've got lives at home, right? Um, but from that standpoint, um, you know, People will dog on FHA because the thought is, oh, if somebody's using FHA, they aren't as strong of a buyer, or, you know, I'm going to have to do a lot of things, this is from a seller perspective, or I'm going to have to do a lot of things to my house to make it meet FHA guidelines. Most of the time, those things aren't true, but it is very much, um, it is very much a belief in the market. So if you opt for FHA, it can sometimes put you at a disadvantage because of those often unfounded biases. But I think the best loan is the one that helps you meet your goals and your goals are personal. So sometimes the goal is, you know, I, I want a house. I understand that under conventional, maybe because of score or whatever the case may be, my interest rate might be higher. My payment might be higher. But in my market, I cannot compete if I am using FHA financing or maybe it's. I really want to purchase a duplex so I can have a home to live in and get some income generating from the other unit. And FHA allows me to do that with three and a half percent down versus, you know, 15 or sometimes 25%. That's the best loan. It just mm -hmm. depends. And it's understanding how the loan type that you're doing and how far you are in the process, as far as if you're pre-approved, how that then can be leveraged to your advantage when you're negotiating, when you're negotiating a contract. So definitely doing your research on the different loans um, definitely should be a priority before you even start looking for, you know, a mortgage loan officer to even know what to ask for or say, hey, I want this kind of loan. Um, right. Do mortgage loan officers like or, you know, or realtors even are, do you think that 
how do I say this? If I present all my stuff to a realtor, do you think that they'll be able to tell me what loan best works for me? Or do you suggest going straight to a loan officer to, to get that answer? You really need to go to a loan officer. I mean, a realtor, a realtor is there to help quarterback the process from the standpoint of, you know, one, yes, absolutely. How do I find the home? But then also who are the inspectors that I can trust? Who are the title companies? Do you have an insurance recommendation? Do you have a lender recommendation? I mean, they're kind of the, you know, matchmaker sort of quarterback of the situation. Um, but as far as getting into real specifics around loans and rates and guidelines, that's the reason that we have a whole profession, you know, because it's just, it's, it, you have to have that level of detail knowledge in order to adequately advise somebody. I mean, we have licensing requirements and all sorts of things because again, for most people, your home is your biggest asset. The mortgage is your biggest debt. So it's more than just how do I get a yes so I can you know, present an offer. I mean, you, you got to make sure it's, it's really meeting short and long term goals. Okay. Someone said my landlord is willing to sell a house to me, but he said we can eliminate the realtor and get lawyers. Uh, any advice on which mortgage company to try? I'm a first time buyer. So Gail, I would say, um, one, you're always welcome to reach out to me. Let me know what state you're in. I can give you a recommendation. Like I said, I am licensed in 25 states. If you want us to talk about your exact situation, we can. Um, look for if you're not having realtors involved still i highly recommend that you get a home inspection because even though you're living there you really are going to look at it differently when you're owning it so you want to make sure what you're signing on for right um lawyers for sure to make sure that the contract is handled correctly and legally and all of that kind of stuff and then from a lender perspective um you know you want to ask for recommendations from friends and family you can google search within your city you can um look you know sometimes what i recommend is even if somebody isn't maybe using a program like down payment assistance a lot of times lenders that are listed on state websites for down payment assistance programs are lenders that tend to be a little bit more seasoned a little bit more experienced and they're going to be able to educate you on a wider range of programs versus just um you know kind of you know basically baskin robbins 31 flavors here are all the different options and this is why this one is best versus you know vanilla chocolate and strawberry um she said she's in new jersey so gail what i would suggest if you're in the facebook group so is rebecca so um for people who are watching this and they want to get in contact with you what's the best way to get in contact with you so in all of my social media, because I'm the mortgage mentor across all platforms, um, all my contact information is in my bio. Um, there's a link to my calendar. People can book a free one-to-one -one call. It's just 15 minutes. Just ask me whatever questions you have. Let me see how I can help. Um, my email information is in there as well as my phone. You're also welcome to DM me on Instagram. I don't do DMs on TikTok because they irritate me. <laughs> oh my goodness, I thought it was just me. No. I tell people all the time, don't DM me on TikTok. People are weird on TikTok. DM me on Instagram. I can't do it. I don't know why, because I think I, I had so much anxiety when I realized that there was like this other mailbox in TikTok and there were hundreds of messages that I hadn't responded to. And I thought, oh my gosh, people have to think that I'm so rude. So I keep up with it on Instagram, but again, all my, all my contact information is in my bio. <laughs> Right. Someone said, will student loans cause disqualification, especially if I'm in a deferred status? That is a fantastic question. So student loans are one of the most frequent conversations that we have around debt. Um, the very, I'll start with the very best position that you can be in from a student loan perspective when we're looking at loans is 
absolutely understand that everything's in forbearance right now. Um, but if you can have an IBR or an IDR, then most loan types were able to count whatever that payment is. So if that payment's $25, if it's $100, if it's $0, we can count that payment. If it is deferred because you are still in school, then the best case scenario is we're counting at least half a percent of the balance as a, as a payment. And every $50 in debt equals about $10,000 in loan amount as far as qualification. So the lower we can make that student loan debt, not from the loan amount standpoint, but from your payment standpoint, the more that that frees up that we can allocate towards a mortgage payment. So if it's truly deferred, we're counting half a percent of the loan balance, sometimes 1%, most of the time it's half percent, but ideally have an IDR, have an IBR, so we can count that payment. Okay. Um, someone else asked, can you get an investment property for less than 10% down? No, <laughs> that's an easy answer. 10%, um, you can buy a second home, which means that you have, I get this question all the time. Second home means that you have some personal use of it. Like it's a vacation, think of it like a vacation home. Um, and then you're renting it out, Airbnb, the other part of the time. That's considered a second home, that's 10% down. Investment means you are not having any personal use of it. It is 100% rented, either short-term rentals or long-term rentals. Minimum down payment's 15%. Oh, I almost choked on my Pepsi. <laughs> Jesus, Mary Joseph, 15%. Holy crap. Okay. So, okay. So instead of buying, can you build a house on a USDA loan? Um, yes, this, this came up recently because I did a loan on, uh, or I did a video on USDA and I did one on construction. Apparently, I've never done it. So let me give you that disclaimer. In 20 years of lending, I have never done a USDA construction loan. So if that's what you're looking for, unfortunately, I'm not your expert. But um, there is an option through USDA. I would say that it is very, very limited. I believe you have to go directly to rural housing to USDA to in order to finance a construction loan with USDA. Um, that is if you are financing the build. If another build, if a builder is building a home and they are financing it and you're merely purchasing when it's done, which is what a lot of people do when they're purchasing from a national builder or a builder that's building out a neighborhood, you can typically use any loan type um, for those properties. Mm, okay. I know what the question was. You were talking about second homes. So I remember on the first live that we did, I learned this. I did not even know you could do this. So you can be considered a first time home buyer, even if you bought a home before, like how does that work? Yes. So how that works is you have to have not owned a home within the last three years. And we get super, super into the detail as far as what does ownership mean, right? Like people say, well, I didn't buy it. I inherited it. Or I didn't buy it. My spouse bought it. It, it is if you have marital interest or inherited interest or, you know, basically, basically marital or inherited interest in a property. There are some situations where we can show that maybe through a divorce or separation, um, you, you know, yes, you had ownership in a, in a property, but it didn't show in your taxes, right? You weren't taking any kind of interest deductions or things like that. So there's some exceptions, but for the most part, if you've had ownership interest within the last three years, you're not considered a first-time home buyer. If it's outside those three years, you are considered a first-time home buyer, which means it opens you up to options like down payment assistance or a 3% down payment on conventional versus a 5% down payment. So it's 
always worth letting your loan officer know, hey, I did own a home, but it, you know, it was 2017 or whatever the case may be, because those are always the little nuggets that we're looking for um, just to see what other kind of options might be available. So somebody kind of asked the same question from earlier, but I'm going to read it. Uh, In this current market, is it a good decision to build a house instead of buying? Um, It's personal. (laughs) It's personal and it depends on your market and it depends on what your build costs are. Um, Building a home can be more expensive. Um, Certainly material costs are up, they're down, they're up, they stay up. I'm personally building a, a home right now um, that I'm building as a second home as an Airbnb, but it's also something that I have done before. You know, would I necessarily recommend doing a custom build where you're financing it as your first home? Personally, no, because I think there's so many variables and so many opportunities for that budget to run rampant. Um, is it a good idea if you are able to maybe build a home for less than it's worth because of either connections you have or you know, just because of the the way that your market is, you know, resell homes versus maybe build costs. Absolutely worth checking out. Just understand that it is not it is not as easy as HD, HGTV makes it sound, <laughs> and um, it is kind of a different process. All of a sudden, it went mute. I had to take my earpiece out. Like, Uh-oh. hold on, hold on. So someone said, if I know I want an FHA loan to purchase a duplex and my credit union doesn't do FHAs, what do I do? Talk to a different lender. Talk to an independent lender like me. Talk to your bank. Um, I would say that um, some banks don't do FHA. Some banks aren't great at FHA. Um, Most independent lenders, meaning whether we're a broker um, and we're shopping your loan out, um, from the beginning or you're an independent mortgage lender and we're doing the whole process and then your loan is serviced by another mortgage company, meaning you're make you're making those um, payments to another mortgage company. Predominantly all of us do FHA. We're going to know how to structure that loan and how to guide you through that process. Mm. So going back a little bit, cause the questions slowed down. Can we talk about cavers? What is cavers? Yes. So, um, because it's, uh, I don't know, because at the end of the day, I cannot remember what CAVERS stands for. So don't ask me what the acronym is. But basically what CAVERS is, is it is a federal system. When you default on a federal debt, so a lot of times student loans will come up. If you are, if you have defaulted on a, on a federal debt, you will have a hit against your CAVERS number. And then that can prevent you from getting a loan like FHA. So what is the process? You have to have what's called a clear cavers, and that typically looks like either paying off whatever the debt is um, or entering into a payment plan for long enough, I believe it's either six or nine months, to then clear that cavers because if, 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 you know, if we don't have a clear cavers, meaning it's showing that debt, you know, we really, we don't have an option. We, We don't have an option to proceed. Okay, so what what do you what is considered a federal debt? Um, it can be things like other FHA loans. Um, I believe um, if there are any lenders on my side, um, let me know. I think federal tax liens can hit your cavers most of the time. Like I said, what what we're seeing are student loans. Mm, okay. Um, someone on Facebook said, "I know there are programs to help with the down payment, but how do you get help with the closing costs?" Some of the down payment. Pr- some of the down payment programs um, 
for example, in North Carolina, um, where I'm based, there are different programs that give an amount that are three or 5%. So it's kind of equal to the down payment, but there are other programs that give a set dollar amount. For example, it's 8,000. So depending on the loan type, depending on your sales price, that might be enough for the down payment and some of the closing costs. Um, you can also negotiate for the seller to pay them. So that means you're paying a higher sales price so the seller then is basically making more profit and they take that profit and they pay your closing costs. Um, your mileage may vary depending on your market because um, in some markets it's not happening at all. Um, sometimes it can be negotiated. I do still see it happening even, even with, you know, as much of a seller's market as it is. Um, and depending on your loan type and how it's being structured, sometimes you can ask for a higher interest rate and have your lender pay portion of your closing costs or all of your closing costs. Um, so somewhere between all of those options are where you know people either need to have their closing costs paid for or they want to so they can keep more money set aside in their emergency fund, you can use one of those options. Okay. Someone said, buying a second home, are you required to put 20% down if you're not considered a first time home buyer? Nope. For a second home, you can put as little as 10% down. Hmm. Look, y'all got me by, I don't even got a first home and you got me looking, wanting to look into a second one. <laughs> How do you feel about the homeowners facing foreclosure due to pandemic non-payments? Oh, then I got a secondary question with that one. Okay. So I actually, um, and I don't have the stat handy, but, um, I read that basically the, the wave of foreclosures that was originally projected because of everything with the pandemic, missed payments, um, all of the all of those homeowners that were entered into forbearance programs, meaning, hey, we understand what's going on. You don't have to make your mortgage payment. Your missed mortgage payments are not being counted against you as foreclosure. Um, that program. I guess worked very much the way that it was supposed to because it did help save a lot of people from foreclosure, gave lenders the legal options that they needed to offer, you know, uh, basically payment restructuring and things like that. So one, that helped a lot. So I think as an economy and then down to the individual level, I'm very glad to see that that, that performed. Um, most people have been able to come out of that foreclosure. However, I know that there are still millions of Americans that are definitely suffering, struggling with, um, you know, with their housing payments. So how do I feel about it? Um, I mean, I think, I think it's just, it's really unfortunate. I think, um, I hope, because I was a lender in 2008, um, you know, I think what we're dealing with now is a, is a different scenario than it was then, because my hope is that even if their personal scenario, as far as being able to make that mortgage payment, isn't a good one, isn't favorable, um, that because of the way that the market has done, maybe there is enough equity that at least they could sell their home. I don't ever want to see somebody lose their home, but if there is an option to perhaps sell versus go through the process of foreclosure, um, you know, certainly the impact on credit, future opportunities for home ownership, all those things. My hope is that there'll be some balance of, of maybe, you know, a, a silver lining of the market kind of going crazy up in value. So does the type of home you're buying play a part in your loan? So for example, if I'm buying a home that's considered a foreclosure or if I'm buying a fixer upper and I know I want the cost of the repairs to be included in my loan, mm -hmm. like, you know, does that play a part um, in the type of loan I qualify for? Yes, it absolutely can. Um, 
from the standpoint of you don't need a special loan program to say buy a foreclosure. As long as the home is considered in good enough condition, meaning it meets minimum property standards. What are minimum property standards? Um, minimum property standards basically are basic health and safety things. So if there's um, water damage, if there's mold, if there's missing handrails, you know, really major thing. If the roof, you know, is caving in, you know, those kind of things. Those are major issues that really any kind of standard conventional FHA, VA, USDA loan is not going to, is not going to be the right fit for. Um, if it is something that it is, you know, it either is in that condition or maybe it's, you know, kind of what people will say, like put some lipstick on a pig, you know, from the standpoint that it just needs some love. It's, there's been deferred maintenance and there's, you want to make it pretty or you want to make some improvements to make it more energy efficient or repair some, some things like that. Then there are specialized programs for rehab, you know, rehab type home situations for purchasing. So there's FHA 203K and then there's a conventional option where you can finance in the repairs um, and you can finance the repairs into that home. Okay. Oh, this is a good, this is a good one. Do credit freezes make the loan application an issue? For example, if the person unfreezes before applying. If you unfreeze before applying, there's not an issue. Um, sometimes what I run into is that people have forgotten that they froze it because they got great advice and they said, I froze my credit <laughs> and then they forgot about it because how often do we really, you know, do we really worry about it? So uh, we do need for you to lift the freeze so we can at least get that credit access and then you can put it back on. Um, there's credit monitoring that we do throughout the loan process, kind of coming back to the conversation of you don't want to get new, uh, you know, open new lines of credit because that can affect your loan. So we have to monitor your credit for that. Um, but as long as you lift a freeze, you know, you're typically good to go. Don't have Alexis in more than one house, people, because I swear to God, that just scared me so bad. Somebody's trying to play music and it played on my Alexa. Play everywhere. No, don't play everywhere. Um, I had a question that you don't mind if I, if I answer yeah, it was, why are land loans harder to get than home than a home on land? Um, so typically for land loans, it's not going to be a, a standard sort of national program like conventional or FHA. Um, it's going to be an individual lender or individual bank program. So first of all, you're going to get different answers as far as minimum down payments, minimum credit scores. The answer for that is the bank or lender is, is literally lending typically their money. So they set the rules of what they want to do. So much of the time, it's going to be a down payment between 15 to 20%. Sometimes it's not a 30-year loan. It might be a 20-year loan or it might be an adjustable rate or things like that. Um, the reason for that is simply because if you if you look at the answers that lenders give, lenders are always giving answers from the perspective of risk. And if risk and also potential loss, meaning what if somebody forecloses on this loan? What can we do with this asset? What can we do with this house or what can we do with this land to recoup the money that we lent out? And homes are easier to sell because there is typically a bigger market for a home than there is for land. Land is great and you have a purpose for it to develop it or you know build on it, but there aren't as many people out there interested in that. So they are going to compensate for that lack of market, if you will, um, if it happened to foreclose by having higher down payment requirements or just having kind of a more stringent process. Someone asked, what is the process for getting money as a gift from someone to go toward buying your home? 
Um, the, the short answer is it can depend a little bit on the documentation depending on the loan type that you're getting, okay? So if it's FHA or conventional, there's some nuances as far as most of the time it needs to be a family friend, I mean a, a family member, um, but it can be a family, family friend and just how does that get defined or how does that get documented because it's a little bit of a gray area. Um, usually the process is, is we get a signed letter by you and your donor that says, I'm giving you know, this person this much money for this property and there's no expectation of repayment. All of those are important parts of it. And then this is how we're connected. This is our relationship. Um, the one difference with FHA over conventional is we have to get a 30-day bank statement or transaction history from the donor. And that's always important to know upfront because some donors don't want to do that. They're like, I'm not getting the loan. Why do you need my bank account? You know, why do you need my bank statement? Um, the reason that FHA has that rule for the bank statements is because we're wanting to make sure that the buyer hasn't borrowed the money for the down payment from maybe a source that's not allowed. Like they put it on their credit card, got a cash advance, gave it to this other person. The person's giving it back to them. That doesn't meet the, the spirit and the guidelines of a gift. Okay. Can being a deferment in student loans negatively impact buying a home or if you have a high amount of student loans? It all comes down to the payment. So when they're in deferment, then we're going to, in most cases, be counting a half a percent of the loan balance as the payment. Um, if you can come out of deferment and into an income-based repayment plan, then we're going to have a, a lower payment to count. So we're not really concerned about the balance. It's what is that payment being factored into to the monthly calculations that we're looking at. Okay. Someone said, have you seen a situation where you weren't able to locate a credit file with one credit bureau, but you were able to pull the file for the others? And in that case, how does the buyer move forward? Um, sometimes. Basically, if somebody has um, new credit, kind of thin credit, that can happen. Um, then what we're doing is we're basically basing the decision on what we have from the other two credit bureaus. Oh, perfect. I thought she was about to say, oh, we got to do this, this, this. So that's actually really cool. Okay. So if my DTI won't allow me to personal, what if my DTI won't allow me to personally get a new loan? I don't get what the question is. So, okay, so your debt to income ratio is too high. Um, I mean, so that implies, wait, I'm kind of confused. So if your debt to income ratio is too high, obviously you're not gonna be pre-approved, right? Right, so sometimes that looks like, um, it, it depends on the situation, right? Because always want to try to counsel people of, um, you know, successful, enjoyable home ownership. So what is the purpose for buying other than the fact that rents are crazy, um, but then the DTI is too high. So does it look like I've started a new business and yes, you have income coming in, but maybe it's not income that I can count because it doesn't yet meet guidelines. Um, are you a student? Are you somebody going through separation and divorce and I can't yet count child support and alimony? So a lot of times that, that depends on Tell me more of the backstory. What's what's going on? Tell me about your finances outside of just mortgage guidelines so we can give good advice. Is it your debt's too high? Is it, hey, you? I see that you've got the income, but we don't have income that we can count. So is there somebody that can be a co-borrower with you, a parent, you know, someone like that? Um, not in general, and I know how you feel about this too. Not in general. I know how you girls like to tussle, but I know how you feel about, <laughs> I know how you feel about, um, co-signing and no, I'm not a huge fan of co-signing from the standpoint of, you know, Hey, I'm going to help my cousin buy a car or I wanted to help my little sister, 
you know, whatever the case may be, you know, that, that is an important conversation to have because if you're not in control of who's making those payments, I can really screw up your credit fast. But if it's in the situation of you buying a home, then sometimes adding a co-bar in so you can have additional income is a valid thing. It's just then making sure that, that it is a, it is a sustainable situation basically. Right. Um, this was a great question over here, um, was using 401k for down payment, a good idea. Will taking out a loan for my 401k show up, um, in my DTI? So as far as, is it a good idea? Um, that is a, that's kind of a larger financial planning question from the standpoint of, you know, is, you know, risk reward, right? You're, you're, you're taking it away from the 401k. So what is the 401k policy as far as repayment? you know, position in the market, all of those kind of things versus getting a home, which, you know, may be very necessary, good long-term investment, all of those kind of things. So is it allowed? Yes. Is it a good decision? It's personal. Um, certainly don't, don't, uh, dissuade people from doing that. Many, many people do. The nice thing is, is it does not hit you in your debt to income ratio because you're paying yourself back, which is different than paying somebody else. So if you're, taking a 401k loan and your monthly payment then that's coming out of your paychecks is 250 we're not we're not then kind of double hitting you for that and then i think i had writing notes i know right um let's see i had another question as far as it was just talking about the pause on federal loan payments impacted home ownership the only way that really kind of that's impacted is if somebody you know if they um are kind of again back in that deferment status and we're having to count a higher payment because we don't have an active or they don't have access to because they hadn't applied prior to um, an income-based repayment plan. That That's how they're factoring things. But, but for the most part, we're able to kind of navigate that. So another student loan question. So if you're in forbearance with a student loan, do you have to make payments on a payment plan for six months before you apply for a home loan? If it's just in forbearance, no. Um, so again, either it can stay in forbearance status and we're counting a half a percent of the loan balance or you are you know, starting an IBR. And once you have that IBR agreement, you pretty much can take that and roll with it. You don't have had to make it for six months. If it's in the okay. default status, that's where you know the entering into a repayment plan and, and have, having to have it for some time you know, will factor in. Okay. Someone asked, can you get a loan if your income isn't over $30,000? Totally depends on your market and your other debt. Um, yes, it does happen, um, but it's all it's all one big math problem. If you California, the answer is no. <laughs> if you're in California, <laughs> hell no. Nah. You, the only thing you can afford is to get the hell out their face if you live in California. I'm going to be honest That's true. That is true. And that's what she means by your market because, you know, I don't know what, you know, I, I'll be up late at night on Zillow and, and, and Realtor.com and like, I'll be looking at the houses in Cali and it'll be like one bedroom, one bathroom, 600 square feet, $1 million. Like, oh my God. It's wild. <laughs> and hey, here's just my personal PSA. Don't, don't trust the payment calculators on Zillow. Um, just don't. Um, I've been talking to so a many arguments about that. Just don't. I just like looking at the pretty houses. I'm not oh, ready to buy. Me too. I just like looking at the pretty homes. I screenshot and put it on my Pinterest board for what I want when I grow up. I'm not <laughs> mad at, I'm not mad at um, window shopping. I'm just saying, you know, they're almost always wrong <laughs> because they're not dealing with your exact situation from down payment standpoint or is mortgage insurance a factor or whatever the case may be. It's just, 
you know, don't fall in love with the house before you know what you have to pay to get it. The original question, so the one I couldn't understand, she was saying, can you get a second mortgage on a cash flowing property without considering DTI? Um, most of the time, I would say no. So there are some specialty programs out there for investment properties where really you're just looking at how profitable that, you know, what's the cash flow. So um, I wouldn't say that it's never possible, but most of the time when people are talking about a second loan, they're talking about a home equity line of credit. I have done them in the past, I don't do them now. Um, but still DTI is coming into the factor because it's really a, usually still a full underwrite. Um, your mileage may vary. Talk to some local banks and credit unions never hurts to ask but most of the time it's going to be more than just what's going on with that individual house someone asked are you licensed in north dakota i am not i wish i was but i am not I that is such a random you know the other day i was reading off the statute of limitations and i got to rhode island and i was like oh shit, i forgot rhode island was even a state oh <laughs> look you just made all of the rhode islanders mad they were like, oh, someone commented and was like, your face, if you're watching this from Rhode Island, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Cause like, you know, I live, I, I live in a bubble. I'm from the Northeast and we're so full of ourselves. So we really feel like we are America. Like there is no other state <laughs> other than like Texas and California. So it's That's so right. easy to forget like the smaller or like the not as populated states. But that was so crazy. Most you gotta, you, you have to show love to all 50 states. I'm, I'm trying to get there, man. I mean, every state that I add, I have to take extra uh, continuing ads. Oh my goodness, me too. And uh, when I totaled up all my hours for last year, it was 50. And I was like, I just, I need to take a beat. So I just saw that somebody asked me if, I, if I'm licensed in Louisiana. I'm not, um, but if you'll message me on Instagram, I've got a great lender for you. But um, but no, it's, uh, I was just like, I just need to take a breather because I'm, I'm tired. I can't stare at the screen any longer. Um, I think your name is Damaris. So we kind of talked about if this is the right time to buy a house. And honestly, the answer is it's up to you. I, we actually had this conversation probably prior to you two getting on, um, but it's honestly up to you. There are so many factors that go into, is this a good time for you to be buying a home? What are your current finances? What can you handle personally? What are the rates in your area? What is the market like? Um, is your score competitive? Um, what kind of loan do you want? Do you have all your ducks in a row? So it's like, it's too much that really goes into it for each individual person for her to really give like a general answer. But that's a preference question on whether or not this is a good time for you to buy a home. Right. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Someone said, today is my second year since my bankruptcy ended. Is it true I can start looking at loans? Yes, with FHA. I, and the reason I tend to default to FHA because obviously huge fan of VA, I think it is a phenomenal loan. But most of the time people will say, I am a veteran, can I do this with VA? So for the general public, yes, with FHA at, at two years, yes, you can. Um, and here's a good thing. Um, thank you, Mortgage Moves um, on my side. Um, so if you are in a chapter 13, you can buy or refinance a house with FHA. So what? Wait, 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 what? The money plug was too stunned to speak. Uh, <laughs> But it does have to be a 13. So here, here's the oh thing to know God. about um, Chapter 13 bankruptcy and FHA. Um, you have to have been in the repayment for at least 12 months and you do have to have permission from the court. Um, so from that standpoint, you can actually purchase a home while you are still in Chapter 13. Oh my goodness gracious. I did not know that. <laughs> Most of the time lenders are going to look for some sort of reestablishment of credit though. 
Ah, see, we just talked about this the other day about rebuilding after bankruptcy and why it's yes. very, very important that you do it before you get out. Like you can do it immediately after you file. You can yes. start looking at, you know, adding new accounts and things like that. OMG. Yeah. Okay, so what are the pros with going with a private lender versus going through a bank? Um, I would say most of the time private lenders are going to have um, a faster process. Um, they can have lower costs. Um, if you are looking for a specialty program, like for example, um, doctor loans or what are called CRA, which are community reinvestment act loans. So those are going to be, you know, low down or no down payment for certain income limits, certain areas. Those are going to be banks. If you're looking for construction loans, banks, um, most of your standard, programs that the majority of people use, conventional FHA, USDA, VA, you know, your general lenders are going to offer. So either your national lenders, um, local lenders, credit unions sometimes don't offer as much of kind of the prog programs like FHA, USDA and things like that. But that's why my advice is always to at least get two opinions, but get two opinions from two different types of lenders. It's not just enough to say, you know, it's kind of like, um, I went to Hardee's and I went to McDonald's. Well, you might want to go to like McDonald's and you might want to go to Chipotle. Like you need some differences so you can actually compare what are my options? What serves me best? Um, and frankly, who do I feel like is going to be the best guide person through this process? I love her too. She's so funny. Um, someone said crossing fingers. Are you licensed in Maryland? Yes, I am. Ah! <laughs> So definitely follow her on TikTok, y'all. This is a person I default to. As soon as y'all stay home, I'm I'm adding her, typing her name, like sending y'all screenshots of her profile because she has so much information. And then what I love about Rebecca is that what she don't know, she knows somebody who knows the answer. Like right. she's been doing this for so long. And it's just so cool to have somebody to kind of have that resource. If you're in the Facebook group, Rebecca is in the group, you guys. So don't, you know, don't be afraid to tag her and ask her questions about, oh, please. listen, because I please don't own a home, so I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so. You know, I was talking with somebody today and, and we had, um, we had the best conversation, but she was saying, I mean, they, um, you know, their situation, they're, they're self-employed, um, wanting to purchase an Airbnb, you know, uh, this kind of situation. And like most self-employed people, you know, they write off their expenses and all of this kind of stuff. And the, the problem was, is they were like, we've talked with some lenders and they basically just said no. And I said, did they, did they tell you why? And they said, basically file your 21, 2021 taxes and get back to me. And it's like, Sometimes that's the answer, but sometimes the answer is, hey, as a lender, there are these different loan programs out there. I might not do them, but I at least want you aware that there could be other options out there. I'm not going to be selfish enough to say, oh, I want to make a commission off of you. So I'm going to tell you to wait until I can personally help you out. My first job is to educate just the industry and, and how things work in general. Someone asked, is consolidated student loans frowned upon when buying a house? No. Ta-da. Um, it's a hard inquiry when you guys do a credit check to see if someone's pre-approved, correct? It is a hard inquiry, yes. Do you guys do something where you'll do soft pulls or is it always a, a hard inquiry when you guys check? It's a hard inquiry. I do know that, um, that some lenders will do a soft pull. Um, I mean, I think that that's honestly, I feel like that's more of a marketing thing than a real value thing because there's only so far that we can go as a lender with a soft pull. So, you know, 
probably could tell you about the same level of information if you tell me what you're monitoring your scores on, you know, my FICO and your approximate, you know, income and, and what those, you know, what, what you make, I mean, your income and then what your monthly debts are and what your score is on my FICO. That's about as far as we can go. And that's perfectly valid if that's what you need because you're 12 months out and you're like, I just want a general idea. Am I even in the ballpark? Awesome. We can definitely have that conversation. But if it's a real deal, like I want to start going out with a realtor and looking at homes, I think that I might be putting an offer in. It's kind of like going to the doctor and getting your, your blood work done. Like you might not enjoy it. Um, it's probably less painful than you think. Um, I'll let you speak to, you know, what a hard inquiry, you know, can, can impact. Um, the trade-off is you get a lot more information back um, that I think can make you feel more comfortable taking that next step because you know that you've got an actual answer versus a, well, you know, here's kind of some general answers on general information. And so someone asked how many times do you pull, but honestly, I'm going to be honest with you guys. So we kind of talk about inquiries. First of all, inquiries are only 10% of your FICO score, you guys. So don't be afraid to have your credit pulled. They expect it because they expect you to be adding new accounts to your profile. As long as you don't have 20, 30, 40 inquiries on your credit report, you're fine. And if you're following the steps, Remember, I talked about not having more than five inquiries in a 12-month time period. So if you're not adding any new accounts within the last year, you're good to go. It can run your credit and no. you'll be perfectly fine. And plus, like she said, the payoff, right? The pro and the con. The pro is you can get a damn house. So, you know, let them pull your credit. <laughs> it's a big win. Yeah, so, well, right. and, <laughs> so and there's a, a big shopping win. window. I mean, you do have that shopping window when a lender pulls. You do have mm -hmm. a 45-day shopping window, you know, to your point. You know, do you need to like double, triple down and have 20 people pull it? Probably not. Um, because really, you know, once you've talked to two, three, maybe four lenders, you're going to have a clear sense of what your options are. You're going to have a clear option sense of who is responsive, who seems knowledgeable and all those kind of things. Trade off, like I said, for, for having a hard inquiry. Are you licensed in Florida? I am licensed in Florida. Ah, she's licensed in Florida. So far. And I see on the side too, um, I am not licensed in Nebraska and Iowa yet. Let me say that yet. Nebraska and Iowa. I tell you what, when I'm ready to buy a house, I'm definitely calling you. Is this I, am licensed. <laughs> I was going to say, I am licensed in your area. No, I'm not buying up here. It's too expensive up here. You licensed in Texas yet? I'm going yes. to you get. Oh, you are? Yes. Oh, yeah. You definitely, we going to be friends. Soon, <laughs> as soon as my husband decided to hang his boots up. That's Is it best go. to use the builder's mortgage company to get the closing cost incentive of $10,000? $10,000 is a lot of money. Um, a lot of times I'm seeing two or $3,000. Um, let me explain how builder credits work. A lot of the times you're, you're getting that credit by being charged a higher interest rate, just like you can ask any lender to charge you a higher interest rate and give you a lender credit to offset some of your closing costs. But it's sold that it's um, being done as just a gratitude for working with the X, Y, and Z builder family. That is not what's going on. It always comes down to money and there's no such thing as a free lunch. So most of the time you're paying for it. You're just paying for it through a higher rate. Sometimes what happens is builders will incentivize you to use their company by tying in incentives for the home. Like you have to use our lender if you want to get $10,000 upgrade in the design center. A lot of commingling of funds there. Um, it is legal. Do I think that it's necessarily the best? 
depends on whose perspective from a builder's perspective they want to control the process 100% understand and respect that is it always the best outcome for the buyer um, most of the time when we're comparing apples to apples no but it depends on how big that incentive is and, and that's why it's always good to at least get a second opinion it should not hurt you to get a second opinion so you at least know how your money's working Someone said that I heard Maryland has great programs for teachers. Can they be used with personal lenders? So I will say, I'll give the disclaimer um, that I am the only state that I participate in down payment assistance is North Carolina because that's where our company is headquartered. So um, I see on my side, yes, I'm licensed in Arizona. Yes, I'm licensed in Tennessee. But as far as down payment assistance programs, um, as a teacher, as um, kind of in the lending world, if you're considered what's called a community helper or a community worker, so we're talking teachers, law enforcement, police officer, I mean, um, fire and EMT, there are different programs that are out there and you should absolutely investigate them. It doesn't always mean that it's the best program, but you should at least see what options are out there. Um, sometimes they're state level. There is a um, national program called FHLB, um, which stands for Federal Home Loan Bank. Um, definitely check into them, at least ask, because you don't want to leave money on the table, but just know that it's not always the best deal because you might be paying a higher rate for down payment assistance when you don't really need it. Or you could get it as a gift or something else like that. Okay. All right, I got five more minutes, y'all. Let's see. Credit question, are you accepting new clients? I need a house like yesterday. Yes, I'm currently accepting new clients. This is good information, thank you so much. Is it easier to build versus buying an existing house? Um, easy is, Easy is personal. Um, so I've, I've built multiple homes. Um, I always try to give at least a cautionary tale that the home that I'm in right now um, took us an extra 10 months to build. We had to fire the first builder because he wasn't paying people that were working on our home and it was a holy mess. But I do love my house. <laughs> so it is a different process. It depends on your timeline. It depends if you need something right now or especially with kind of all the supply chain things you know, whether you're financing the build with a, with a private builder or you're working with a national builder and they say it's going to take eight months, there might be things completely outside of their control and it takes 10. So do you, uh, does that work with getting kids enrolled in school? Does that work with, you know, having a place to stay if the home isn't complete? It, it just depends on what you're willing to put up with to have the trade-off of a new home versus an existing home. Her name on Facebook and TikTok is The Mortgage Mentor. Her name is Rebecca Richardson. She is amazing. So if you click her name on TikTok, it should take you to her profile. Mm -hmm. um, but that is her name across all of her social media platforms, the.mortgage.mentor, because yeah. um, somebody's in Phoenix, so they look up for you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm there for you. But somebody has a really good question. They're, they said, I'm self-employed, and it seems that my tax goals and my goal of owning a home are contradicting. Um, specifically, do I not write off anything to show most income for loan purposes? Um, so I'll always give the caveat. I can't give tax advice, right? I have to look at it from a mortgage perspective. So I can tell you based off of your debts and based off of what you want to buy, the qualifying income that we'd be looking for. Um, it is a constant struggle. <laughs> it's like, it's like two ends or like two magnets of what's good for tax strategy is not only good for mortgages. Um, and it, and it again, just depends on that math is can you find that happy balance of enough deductions so you're not excessively paying taxes or you know taking advantage of, of the benefits that you have as a as a you know self-employed as a business owner for sure um but does it dip you below too much where then we don't have enough income to qualify you for what you want 
to have to talk to a lender, see where those numbers fall. Um, if those traditional calculations don't work for what you want or create the tax burden that's too big, look into other options for self-employed borrowers like bank statement loans where taxes aren't part of the picture. We're looking at you know either a one or two year history of the deposits that you make in your bank account and then that's used as the income. Typically need higher credit, higher down payment, but that absolutely could be a better fit. Someone said, are you licensed in Georgia? Yep. Gotcha. Um, someone said that good neighbor next door lets teachers, firefighters, police, and first responders 50% off certain foreclosures. Yes, I have done that before. Yes, it is a very, very cool program. Um, so to understand what's behind it, it has to be, it is offered on HUD foreclosures, meaning people that had FHA loans, they foreclosed, and now HUD, who administers the FHA program, are selling these HUD foreclosures. Um, it's not on all HUD foreclosures. They have to identify a home as eligible for Good Neighbor Next Door, and then you go into a lottery. Um, you have to you have to demonstrate that you are in one of those professions, and then you do have to live in the home as your primary residence for three years. What happens is basically, let's say the cost of the home is two hundred thousand. You've got a hundred thousand as your first mortgage. You can actually finance in closing costs. Um, you can finance in your realtor's commission because HUD will not pay it and that is your mortgage. And then the other 100,000 is basically sitting there as a lien, meaning a, a extra loan against your, against your home. And once you have reached that 36 month threshold, that other 50% goes away. It is really, really cool. And I've helped people buy with it. The, what we're seeing right now is kind of a good, bad problem is there aren't as many foreclosures. So there aren't as many opportunities for those good neighbor next door homes to be available. But mm. if it's something that works, it's a, Fantastic program. And are you licensed in Pennsylvania? I am. What? This is amazing. All right, y'all. So I got to go ahead and shut it down because I got something I got to do at 630. And y'all know I'm never on time for nothing. So I promise <laughs> I was going to be on time for this. But thank you so, so, so thank much, you. Rebecca. Thank Can you me. tell everybody how to get in contact with you again? Yes. Um, so either you can find me on all social media as the dot mortgage mentor. My name's Rebecca Richardson. Um, you can Google my name. My website will come up. Um, you can DM me on Instagram. You can message me through my website. You can email or you can call me and I would love to connect. Yay. And if you're Yay. in the Facebook group or if you're active on Facebook yes. and would like to join my Facebook group, the Facebook group itself is called Plugged In the Credit Clubhouse. Um, and she is in the group. So if you have any home buying questions at any point in time, guys, please don't hesitate yes, please. to tag her, ask her questions. You can continue to ask in my comments and I'm going to continue to tag her. So, <laughs> I mean, win-win. If you follow one, you follow both in a sense. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much because you're always so willing to do this. Thank you so oh, much. Oh, my pleasure. Everyone have a great night. Thanks. Have a good night, everybody.